This podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. And welcome to episode 49 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And in this episode, we present our final Christmas film of Merry Podmas 2021. How would we sign off for Christmas movies? Well, possibly in the best way possible, with what is arguably one of the most amazing Christmas movies of all time. Is it a Christmas movie? Well, we'll get into that as well. It's John McTiernan's Die Hard. I'm going to have to say it. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. So, as we said earlier, our final Christmas movie is here, and what a Christmas movie it is. It's 1988's Die Hard, starring Bruce Willis, directed by John McTiernan. So what is Die Hard about? Well, I don't think we really have to tell you, but I'm just going to read off a brief synopsis if there are any listeners out there that don't have a clue what Die Hard is, but I doubt that very much. So the following synopsis is written by Graham Roy on IMDb. Tough New York cop John McClane finds himself in a tight situation when an office building in Los Angeles is taken over by terrorists. Apart from himself, everyone else in the building, including his wife, is held at gunpoint while their captors spell out their demands. The FBI are called in to survey the situation, but John McClane has other plans for the terrorists. He does have other plans for the terrorists as well. You're right. Is there anybody on planet Earth who doesn't know the plot of Die Hard? Is there anybody on planet Earth who hasn't seen Die Hard? Age appropriate, of course. I mean, it's even landed on Disney Plus now, so... Amongst all the animation and the Star Wars spin-offs and the Marvel stuff, you can also see Bruce Willis take on Alan Rickman and his gang of merry thieves in a skyscraper. And you can watch him blow them away in glorious Technicolor, all on Disney+. Plus. That's absolutely fantastic. Does that mean that John McClane is now technically a Disney prince? Is that another question up for debate? Possibly, yeah. I mean, he's probably one of the people that they probably wouldn't want in Disney royalty because he kind of... Well, he doesn't shoot first and ask questions later, but I think he probably has got more of a body count than the Disney princes and princesses. So to give a bit of background about Die Hard, it's originally based on a book which came out in 1979 titled Nothing Lasts Forever, and it is written by Roderick Thorpe. The hero's name in the book isn't actually John McClane. His name is Joseph Leland. The character is older than McClane, and he was originally played by Frank Sinatra in an adaptation of The Detective, which is the first novel before Nothing Lasts Forever. Yeah. So, actually, Frank Sinatra was contractually obliged to be asked to play John McClane in Die Hard when they started to adapt the film. But being 73 at the time, he um, basically declined the part, obviously. 
And in another bit of like fun information about the background, this film was originally conceived as a sequel to Commando, which we have touched upon before in our Commando episode. They wanted Schwarzenegger for the main part again, but then because the plans were just scrapped um, somewhere down the line, Die Hard then became its own entity and what an entity it is. And Darren has read the book. Um, I haven't, so Darren's going to tell us a bit more about the novel Nothing Lasts Forever and how it all ties in. Yeah, I read it post-Die Hard because I was interested to see where the source material had come from. And it does stick to the main points of the plot. The setup is very similar, but it's a much darker novel. Leland goes to see his daughter, not his wife. The building is taken over. It's Anton Gruber who is the bad guy in the book, not Hans. But you get people like Al Powell outside. He's in the book. Dwayne Robinson, he's in the book. It's a lot grittier. It's a lot more violent. And the ending's so much more of a downer. I'm not going to spoil it because I, I would recommend the book. The book is great. But anybody who's a fan of Die Hard and reads that book will be thrown by quite a few things in the movie. There are certain things in the book that he does in the film as well. The, the crawling around the ducks, he does that in the book. When he drops the C4 bomb down the elevator shaft, that's in the book. The bit where he jumps off the roof, tied to the fire hose, that's in the book. The bit at the very end where he's taped the gun to his back, that's also in the book. But there's a lot of differences between book and film. The film is a lot more knockabout. It's quite gritty in places, but the film is a much more fun experience than the book in terms of audience thrills. That's not to take anything away from the book. The book is absolutely terrific. I would recommend anybody reads it. Uh, Roderick Thorpe had seen The Tower in Inferno, another great movie which I'm probably going to suggest for this podcast at some point. But after seeing The Tower in Inferno, Roderick Thorpe thought, well, wouldn't it be a great idea to take that sort of skyscraper situation but have it as a thriller? And that's where the genesis of Nothing Lasts Forever came about. Good call by Frank Sinatra. I mean, he's 73 at the time. 73-year-old guy charging around the skyscraper, fighting terrorist stroke robbers off. Frank Sinatra, decent actor, but it's an out-and-out -out action movie. Again, Schwarzenegger. Would have been fun, but I think one of the strengths of Die Hard is that you've not got an indestructible hero. There's points in Die Hard where you actually think Bruce Willis's character might die, and it's taken that out of the book as well. In fact, there are certain points in the book where it's suggested that Leland might not make it through some of the plot. But even at the end, there's a suggestion that Leland might actually succumb to his injuries, which is far darker than the film is. But it does a nice play off with the audience because Bruce Willis, he was a star at the time, no doubt about it. But I don't think he was at that level where you think, not like Arnie, where you think Arnie is never going to get killed in a movie. Arnie is just not going to die. Die Hard throws enough confusion in and uncertainty into the plot to make you think by the end well you know he might save everybody but is he go is it going to cost him his life in the process which is one of its strengths i could just sit and talk about die hard for hours and hours and hours i fucking love this movie and i've seen it so many places i saw it in the cinema when it first came out we were in seattle me and my wife and it was playing across the road from where we were staying in the hotel. So we went to see it on a Saturday night in Seattle. Last Christmas, it was playing at a drive-in 
near us. So we went and saw it in the drive-in. It is a Christmas tradition in the Gaskell family household that at some point we have to sit down and watch Die Hard. It's that sort of movie. And it's also definitely becoming a tradition in my household as well. For me, I've only seen the movie at home. I didn't get to see it in the cinema back in 1988 because there was that problem where I wasn't alive, so (laughs) (laughs) it didn't make it. (laughs) But if it ever comes to a cinema near me in the future, I have to go and see it on the big screen because I think that'll be quite an experience. It's such an entertaining movie. It's definitely the definitive action film because I think... This film set the template for the movies that came out then in the 90s, notably something like Speed, which is Mm. considered like Die Hard on a Bus. We've covered that movie as well, if you want to go back and listen if you haven't already. But what we're going to get into is this hotly debated question. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Now, the movie was released as a summer blockbuster in July 1988 over in the US. So it's kind of, I find that kind of weird that it was released at that time but I suppose to me it is a Christmas movie because it's undeniable there's Christmas iconography throughout the whole film it's set on Christmas Eve it's Christmas music it's set at a Christmas party and I think what I could gather from people debating that it isn't is they're just um, basically fixating on the fact that it's not a typical heartwarming festive film And the fact that it was released in the summer, that is the only things people can argue. But I think the strength of the argument of it being a Christmas movie kind of ranks higher than it not being. And if you also check out Nostalgia Critic's review, he actually does a count of the amount of Christmas references in the film. So that's quite fun. You can make a drinking game out of that even. Yeah, it's definitely a Christmas movie. It takes place at a Christmas party. If the Christmas party had not happened nothing would happen in that movie because the Christmas party is being used as a cover for the robbery and also the Christmas party is the excuse to get McLean across to Los Angeles to meet up with his estranged wife. Everything happens from that. So everything takes place because it's Christmas time. Now, yeah, it isn't that kind of warm, fuzzy, feel-good Christmas movie that you might be used to. People die, things blow up, there's lots and lots of violence in it, there's plenty of swearing so yeah it isn't your typical christmas movie but christmas is a broad church in the most general sense so christmas should encompass all types of movies of which die hard is just one you know we've done castle for christmas yeah that's warm and fuzzy but die hard is warm and fuzzy in its own way for action fans as well yeah you get people falling out of buildings and getting um, blown to bits by gunfire and and just general mayhem But Christmas is a time for general mayhem, I find. (laughs) Absolutely. So, as you say, it is absolutely intrinsic to the plot. So without that, we wouldn't have a movie. So people debating that it isn't a Christmas movie, I I just don't agree with you. Try and change my mind, you, you probably won't. I think Die Hard has this very nostalgic feeling about it as well. Even though it's not a movie I grew up with, it just encompasses that feel of that kind of fun 80s, 90s action film. And it's one that you just on tenterhooks from beginning to end. And it has a lot of suspense in it, great set pieces. There's a lot of iconic moments in it, obviously. You've got this unlikely hero, as we discussed um, early in the episode. They wanted to go for someone who was more the everyday guy. So that's why they chose Bruce Willis. And he was well known mainly for being in a um, sitcom called Moonlighting, which I've I've not seen. 
And when they were marketing the film, because Bruce Willis wasn't considered a huge star at the time, they didn't actually want to include him on the poster. So this film kind of skyrocketed his career. And then afterwards, they decided to change their whole kind of marketing on of the film and include him. And he was the face of, well, the franchise now as well. And you can't imagine Die Hard without Bruce Willis. It's just It just doesn't work. And I think as well, it's like what adds to the state is the fact that, you know, he's running around in a vest. He has no shoes on. <laughs> I think that adds a bit more to like the kind of suspenseful elements of it. Because you think, how is this guy going to get through all these situations? Obviously, he does. And I think that's where the comfort comes in. Because obviously, when it came out in 88, you weren't aware that he was necessarily going to survive. And especially if they didn't want to include him on the poster as well. So that kind of throws you off. But because time has passed and there's been more movies in the Die Hard franchise we, we obviously know that he carries on to fight again yeah it becomes pretty much indestructible in the rest of the series and as erratic as the sequels are in terms of quality I mean there's a real big drop off after number three but having said that it's an enduring franchise people still want to go and see Die Hard movies regardless of the fact that the later ones not that great to be perfectly honest but it's spawned from one of the greatest action movies of all time and it's not just the action it's really really well written it's got loads and loads of jokes in there it's kind of wisecracking with the audience all the way along all the characterizations are really great in it the acting's all top notch and it's not just about mclean so you get a buddy movie you get him with al powell on the ground so you've got this kind of buddy dynamic going on you've got the News reporter, Dick Thornburg, who's chasing the story. You've got Ellis, who's the world's biggest knobhead, basically. He's just this guy who takes coke and he's a horrible executive type. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it and you think, how long is Ellis going to last in this movie? Uh, It's not very long. I mean, he does try to charm Hans Gruber at one point, which backfires spectacularly. And of course, mentioning Hans Gruber, got to say... Alan Rickman, first movie role, Alan Rickman comes up with this, knocks it out of the park, becomes an iconic bad guy. This movie would not work half as well without a great bad guy in it. And Alan Rickman is probably the best bad guy of them all in this. He's so good because he's funny, but he's also threatening and he's smart as well. And every time he's on screen, you just want to know what he wants to do next. He's not some disposable villain. He's actually got as much of a strong arc as McLean has. And to watch them bounce off each other is joyful. I cannot recommend Die Hard highly enough. I've seen this so many times and every single time I think it's an absolute joy to watch. I absolutely love this movie. Yeah, we've got to talk about Alan Rickman completely. Absolutely phenomenal performance. He was said to have um, redefined the way we see the typical action movie villain because he wasn't this like insane, crazy madman. He was very cool and very put together and intelligent and educated. And it was just completely different from what people were expecting. So as you say, that does make him more threatening. For me, Alan Rickman was Professor Snape. That's how I (laughs) came to be introduced to him. But yeah, I can see why this role for him was so iconic. And the fact he was in his 40s, it was his first film role. So it goes to show like it's never too late to basically, you know, start a career in movies. I think that's quite incredible. Die Hard has one hell of a legacy. Um, 
but first off, I'm going to talk about some facts that I discovered about it, which is actually through the YouTube channel Minty Comedic Arts. I bring his channel up quite a lot because he does all genres like us and um, reveals like all these facts about movies. So, so the first fact I've got about it is in the German version of the movie, the terrorists are not portrayed as German like they are in the <laughs> uh, US version, obviously uh, not to be insensitive. So they're classed as European. They didn't want to alienate the German audience, obviously. And apparently in the original US cut before it went onto VHS, the terrorists weren't actually speaking German to each other. They were speaking gibberish, but they did like overdub it. So I found that quite interesting. We have some foreign movie titles as well. So these are hilarious, some of them. So um, in Hungary, the movie was titled Give Your Life Expensive. <laughs> that's that's bonkers. I don't even understand what that means. <laughs> in Spain, it's called The Glass Jungle, which I think kind of works. That's, that's, that one's that's, quite a good one. that's classy. That's a classy title for Die Hard. I like that one. <laughs> in Serbia... Sell your skin at high price. <laughs> we're, we're heading to the Hungary one there. Sell your skin at high price. Yeah, I don't know. Does it work? I'm not sure. That's a, it's a weird title, but but maybe maybe it's got more cultural resonance in Serbia. So it might have more than I'm reading into. And the final one is from Japan. And this one, the title is fairly decent and I can imagine it working but it's the tagline that's hilarious. So in Japan, Die Hard is titled The Reluctant Hero. Pretty good. But the tagline is, he has no shoes. <laughs> well, it's true, he has no shoes. That's uh, the Japanese getting straight to the point there. That is the plot point. <laughs> he has no shoes. That's very true. I'm not sure that they build the movie around him having no shoes. There's bits of it that do, but uh, it's interesting to see how they market it around the world. I think... The UK one was something like danger, excitement, suspense on every level. It was something like that. So it kind of tied in with the skyscraper. I imagine this travelled pretty well around the world because it's not trying to do anything particularly nuanced. It's one good guy against a load of bad guys. I mean, they do make reference to Westerns at one point. It's kind of an oblique Western set in a skyscraper. It's like a bad guy trying to rescue the townsfolk from a group of bad guys. I mean, it's got all the action tropes that you could hope for, but it's also doesn't take itself too seriously as well. There's some fairly startling bursts of violence in it, but even so, they kind of take the edge off it with some pretty sharp comedic stuff as well. That one line I will absolutely quote to death, and I probably will say it, during the screening this year and i'll have to see it again because i've watched it on disney plus but i didn't see it with alison so we'll watch it again she is so sick of me preempting the line mr takagi did not see it this way and so he will not be joining us for the rest of his life i quoted it in the driving and she just has to put up with this shit when when i watch die hard because it is just a quarter long for me i've seen it so many times i can pretty much act in the movie I could play pretty much any part in Die Hard because I'm pretty sure that I know what line's coming next throughout the entire movie. I usually laugh at sort of all the, well, ahead of stuff like in the newsroom where the news anchor is trying to be all knowledgeable and they're talking about um, Helsinki Syndrome, which I'm thinking is like their version of Stockholm Syndrome. So they're going on about how 
the hostages form a bond with the kidnappers and they say it's something to do with Helsinki syndrome. And the news anchor says, oh, that's in Helsinki, Sweden. And then somebody kind of goes, no, Finland. It's a movie that portrays quite a lot of its characters as idiots. The police chief is an idiot. The FBI guys are idiots. And it's only the people who are not idiots that get the work done. So, I mean, Hans Gruber isn't an idiot, but he's thwarted by McLean, who isn't an idiot. And Al Powell isn't an idiot. So it's an anti-stupid movie, Die Hard, because all the people who are smart get things done and generally survive everything. The FBI guys are also hilarious. So you've got Robert Darvey and Graham Bush. One white guy, one black guy, both called Johnson. And... There's jokes running throughout the movie about people mistaking one Johnson for the other. At one point, Robert Darby picks up the phone and says, oh, this is Agent Johnson. And then there's a pause and he says, no, it's the other one. This is kind of the level that the movie's operating at. It is an action movie, but it's nudging you all the time. It's kind of like, you know, this is ridiculous and we're leaning into how ridiculous it is. But we're not going to play it as a spoof. It's just teetering on the edge of nonsense, but it's not going to tip over into it. Yeah, I think the humour really does make it because it's not taking itself too seriously. It has a fun element. I don't think it would have been as successful if it was too serious. I think I think honestly that's what makes it. And as you say, there's plenty of one-liners in it. Speaking of, the most iconic line of the entire movie, yippee ki motherfucker, is listed as the 96th greatest movie line of all time, but this was as of 2007, and it was um, from Premier Magazine. And so I don't know where it lands now, but it is one of those that, you know, everybody knows. I would hope that it's higher up now, because everybody must know that line. 96 seems very low in sort of iconic movie lines, but it's a broad field, and there's lots of other movies out there. When people are saying things like, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, from Gone with the Wind oh, is, a, is, is an iconic movie line. Yeah, it is, it is. I still remember that line, but yippee motherfucker is a much better line than that. If they'd have said that in Gone with the Wind, I mean, probably not <laughs> not appropriate, but, uh, you know, if Clark Gable had to turn around to Vivian Lee at the end and gone, yippee motherfucker, I'd have probably liked Gone with the Wind a bit more. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, so you did touch upon the kind of idea of it being, like, based on a Western style. Clint Eastwood actually wanted to adapt the the original novel, Nothing Lasts Forever, into a movie. So if he'd managed to push through with that, obviously we wouldn't have had Die Hard. Yeah, Clint Eastwood could have probably been quite good in the role if it was like made before 88, I think. Yeah, because I think Clint Eastwood does bring a bit of the everyman about it. Yeah, Dirty Harry was a slightly heightened version of a normal cop. But it's not like Arnie. I think Clint Eastwood would have been a decent action hero. I think the the thing about Die Hard is that it's very difficult to think of anybody else in the role other than Bruce Willis now because it's such an iconic movie and it's such a classic that trying to imagine anybody else in the role of John McClane is quite difficult. Even if they're great actors or even if they're great action stars, John McClane has to be kind of a bit of a wisecracker. He's not invincible. He's got flaws. And Bruce Willis brings all of that to the role. Also, Bonnie Bedelia, who plays uh, McClane's estranged wife. She doesn't get a massive amount of screen time in this, but she isn't going to be pushed about either. She doesn't take any shit from Hans Gruber, for starters. So you've got reasonably strong female characters in this. 
there's not a huge amount of it because it's mostly guys chasing each other and shooting each other. I do like the bit, and I know that they have to do this for shortening the screen time because you can't have phone conversations that go on forever and you can't have the hello goodbye and all the kind of pleasantries in a phone conversation because it's got to keep moving but when holly janeiro phones the maid at her house paulina she just hangs up on her paulina says that she's made up a bed for john mcclain just in case he wants to stay and then she says, what would I do without you, Paulina? And then just hangs up on her. And that always seems to jar with me. And I know why they do it, because it's shorthand and you don't have the whole phone conversation. But it just seems so abrupt because you've got this lovely maid that's doing everything for them at home. And she's saying, oh, I've done this and I've like preempted all of this. And I thought that you might want a bed making up, so I've already done it. And then she goes, great, Paulina, thanks. Bang, phone's down. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, she represents the kind of career woman. And there's obviously there's a lot of debate in the movie, especially at the beginning, because she's chosen her career, she's chosen to move away, as well as kind of balance family life. And obviously that's not working out for them. So it's an interesting dynamic, especially at the time the movie was made. Things were changing in society. Women's roles were shifting. So I think it's a really interesting part to explore there. Talking about other actors that were up for the, the role as well, there's yep. two more that I'm going to mention. One I can see in the part, which is Harrison Ford, because he did Fugitive, which came out a few years later, and he has done, like, he's within that action genre. But the actor I cannot imagine in this um, part is Richard Gere. That's a weird choice. I mean, I like Richard Gere as an actor. I don't think this suits his style at all. I think it's such a, an odd choice for that kind of action hero, I think you'd find it difficult to see him charging about and going into air ducts and, you know, blowing things up and, and fighting guys. Richard Gate, good actor, but I don't think this suits him at all. Maybe it is because I can't see past Bruce Willis, but again, Richard Gere in this? No, I, I don't think this suits him. This is not the sort of movie that he probably should have been making anyway. He was much more effective in other roles because he's got something of the... He's got a bit of darkness about him, Richard Gere, I have to say, in some of the roles. I mean, he's very good-looking, obviously, Richard Gere, but things like American Gigolo and things like that, you know, he's got, got a little bit of a dark side to him. Now, Die Hard, you want a hero that's a little bit flawed, but you don't want him to be too dark. Yeah, McLean's a bit of an ass because he's not supporting his wife, but that's not a particularly dark thing and he does come to terms with that by the end of the movie he does realize that he should have been giving her a bit more support and that holly isn't portrayed as the bad guy she's actually moved out to pursue a career and he probably should have been supporting her so it doesn't land her with that role but gear just seems almost like too interesting to be a, a standard action hero there's a lot more going on under the surface where Richard Gere is concerned. And that takes away from the fact that it's just a big, dumb action movie. And yeah, it's the biggest, dumbest action movie. And I love it for being the biggest, dumbest action movie. I, I don't care if people just say, well, there's not an awful lot going on. Well, I don't care if there's a lot going on. There's just lots happening on the screen. It's funny. It's well written. All the acting's great. The interaction between the characters is all top notch. There's loads and loads of subplots. So, you know, people that say there's nothing going on, there's tons going on, actually, in Die Hard. There's loads and loads to keep track of because it's not just about him chasing the terrorists up in the skyscrapers. There's also stuff going on at the ground and there's all the sort of machinations about negotiating. 
speaking of the negotiating thing, that's probably one of the biggest laughs in the movie where Hans Gruber just comes up with a load of terrorist organisations that he wants people freeing from, that they've been jailed in places around the world. Was it come up with says it's the Asian the Asian Dawn movement? And one of his henchmen kind of mouths Asian Dawn movement and then he kind of puts the phone to his says he goes, I read about them in Time magazine. Hans Gruber is just playing off everybody. He doesn't really care about it. He's just using this as a distraction while they go and steal the stuff in the vault. I honestly think that because it's become such an iconic action movie now, Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman are so synonymous with this film, you just cannot imagine anybody else in that part. And I think that's what happens. Die Hard definitely has a lot of rewatchability about it. As you say, you watch it every year. I'm going to be watching it every year. It's it's just one of those that you can just watch over and over again, never get bored, find something new. This, As you say, there's so much happening in it. And one thing that I wanted to touch on as well was that they did allow for improvisation in the movie as well, especially the scene with Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman when they come face to face. There's that as well. Another moment that is probably like my favourite fact about this movie was the scene where Hans Gruber meets his maker at the end. They were basically going to drop Alan Rickman 40 feet, and they did. And they were going to count to three, drop him, shoot the scene. They waited until the count of two dropped him (laughs) so they could achieve a genuine reaction from him. So that iconic facial expression is all real. And that was the final thing that they shot with him because they didn't want to piss him off early on in the shoot because otherwise like, he might not have wanted to work as well as he did. <laughs> so um, I thought that, that was a pretty cool fact. Yeah, when he drops, that is genuine terror on his face. You can't fake that. And big up to them for having the balls to actually do that on two instead of three. It does work because there's a look in his eyes. You can't act to that sort of thing. That is genuine terror at something happening that you just do not expect. It's just one of many great things. It's clearly made with a lot of love. Even though it's a big studio movie, they're taking care about what they've done in this movie. It's not just some action movie that they've churned out. There's something going on here. And Stephen E. D'Souza was a great screenwriter at the time anyway. He did a screenplay for Commando and a load of other things. So he was right at the top of his game writing screenplays. This is no exception. And it's just chock full of characters that you either care about or care enough about to see what's going on. Because, I mean, the villains, yeah, you want to see them get their comeuppance, but not too quickly because, I mean, you want to see Hans Gruber do his thing for a couple of hours because he is more interesting than your average villain. And he's got a nice line in Wisecracks. He's threatening Takagi with a gun to give him the password for the vault. And the two guys that are with him are actually betting on whether or not Hans Gruber will shoot him. Which is kind of a nice little side thing going on. Because Hans Gruber's face, he obviously doesn't know this is going on. Takagi's saying, I'm not going to give you the password. And one of the other guys goes, I told you to the other guy. And Hans Gruber like, just glances across from them. And it's kind of like, you're betting on this. And he just goes back to the conversation. It's just full of really nice little touches like that. Whereas the trap that you would normally fall into in an action movie is just like, just let's have as much shooting as we possibly can. Let's have as many things blowing up as we possibly can. Doesn't matter about the characterization. Let's just make it loud and let's just have as much destruction as we can. 
I mean, there's lots and lots of destruction in Die Hard, but they've taken care to actually graft a decent story onto it as well and fill it with characters that you actually are quite interested in. I mean, even the idiots, Dwayne Robinson, the uh, the police chief, completely out of his depth, but he's out of his depth in such an entertaining way. You're just waiting for somebody to take the wind out of his sails. Yeah, and I think um, all those points you made there is exactly why this film has stood the test of time, why it's continued to be watched by fans who have been long-time fans and new viewers as well. Which brings me now to talk about the film's legacy. So it performed very well at the box office, did incredibly well. The critics, however, weren't as kind to the movie as the fans were. They accused it of lacking credibility, criticised the action and violence in it, and also felt that um, Bonnie Vidalia's character was underused in favour of the relationship between McLean and Sergeant Powell. Interesting, but as you say, there's so much going on in the movie. It's two hours. They have to, you know, give or take some things. And, you know, I think it's absolutely fine as it is. In terms of the violence, for me, I think, yes, it was probably violent for its time, but I don't think it is as bad as people might think it is. I'm not saying it hasn't aged well, but I think the violence is more cut away than you think. Yeah, and it's cartoony as well. It's a bit over the top to the point where when they're saying it's lacking credibility, I mean, of course it's lacking credibility. It's a heist in a skyscraper with one cop taking on, like, what, a dozen terrorists. (laughs) How much credibility do you want? I mean, you're not there because you think, oh, this could happen. It couldn't happen. (laughs) That's not why I go to see Die Hard. I'm not looking for a searing examination of the judicial system and how one cop can take on the system and win. I want big, loud action set pieces. I want wisecracks. It doesn't need to be the unbearable likeness of being. That already exists somewhere else. I want it to be Die Hard. I don't really want to get too down on critics because we both write about movies. But in this case... Who gives a fuck what the critics say about this movie? I just don't care. This is not made for you, critics. It's made for audiences, and audiences really love it. So I really couldn't give a shit what critics think about this movie. (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) in the 1989 Academy Awards, it was nominated for Best Film Editing, Best Visual Effects, and Best Sound. And Michael Carmen won the BMI TV and Film Music Award for the score. It's a good score. And it was the third most popular rental in February of 1989. And then it went on to spend six weeks at number one after a week of release. But then it was replaced by A Fish Called Wonder. It's gone on to have a life beyond its original cinema release. I mean, I bought it on DVD when DVDs were kind of first coming out. And I bought the US version, which had the three movies in. It was a box set. That was the first DVD I actually got was Die Hard. Surprise, surprise. And then it's been re-released millions of other times. So God knows how many copies of Die Hard I've actually got. It's at least two. And I'm sure that that's the case for other households across the land because they'll release it in a slightly different version and they'll buy that. I agree what you say about the violence. It's just, it's there. But I think with the passage of time, it's lessened in terms of impact. And it certainly isn't as vicious as some of the stuff that's in some of the sequels there's one particular bit of violence in Die Hard 2 which is really really nasty and they cut it for the UK cinema release but if you get it now I think it's all intact but I won't say which bit of violence it is because if you haven't seen Die Hard 2 I'd spoil it 
But yeah, I think compared to some of the stuff that's going on in action movies in general, I mean, I'm not going to say it's tame, but it's not the sort of movie that is going to make you ill because of the violence in it, because it's not like that. It's all very brief. It's quite bloody, but it's just done in a way that you're not going to get particularly upset about it unless you unless you really get triggered by that sort of thing. I mean, if you're the sort of person that only has to sort of look at the words video nasty and then you have connections, then any bit of violence is going to set you off. But this isn't going to trouble most people because you're going to be just swept along by having too much of a good time anyway. And the, the little bursts of violence in it, you see these in every single action movie. There's there's stuff that's almost as violent in sort of some of the Marvel movies these days. Not quite, but I mean, the stuff that passed for an 18 back in the day isn't going to upset a lot of people now. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, it's very much of its time with that like old school 18. So speaking of the DVD release, I did have it noted that it was first released on DVD in 1999 and when DVDs first started coming out, as you said, and it was part of the collection. So yeah, it's pretty cool I noted that and uh, you got those DVDs. (laughs) And now this brings me to our usual roundup of Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 94% audience score and tomato meter, which is completely well-deserved. So. Both critics and fans love this movie now. It's held up, it never gets old. And then on IMDb, it has 8.2 out of 10. You can't knock that, none of those scores. They're all justified. It is a classic. Yeah, you can pick holes in it, but you can pick holes in everything. And there is something to be said for Bonnie Bedelia's character being sidelined a little bit in favour of the McLean-Powell relationship. But that forms quite a big part of the second half of the movie it's all to do with powell getting his confidence back that he's a cop that doesn't want to go on the streets anymore so powell's got his own arc it doesn't mean that holly mclean janeiro is pushed to the back but as you said there's so much going on in this movie everything is fighting for space so everybody gets their chance to shine but some people get more of a chance to shine than others and i don't think it's a decision by the movie makers to sideline the female character it's just that in the general mayhem she's more of the voice of reason and it's the guys who are going out and thumping things and blowing things up and shooting things and she's more reasoned than everybody else so she isn't really the sort of person that's going to be listened to when the shit hits the fan basically apart from the fact that she's got Gruber's number from the start and she's not going to take any crap from him at all And he actually does understand that, and he does respect her on some level. Oh, yeah, fair enough. He does try to shoot her at the end, but his plan's gone to shit, so he has to try and save something out of the failed plan. It's one of those movies where you think, well, after all this, are they going to kill the main woman in it? No, I don't think they are. And, spoiler alert, they don't. It's not that mean-spirited a movie. The bad guys get what they deserve. The good guys ride off into the sunset with Grace Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I think that it's a bit of a cat and mouse game throughout. It raises the stakes between the good and evil and all that. So it's very entertaining, very enjoyable. And yeah, the end credits finish with the uh, Christmas classic, Let It Snow. So come on, fight us if you don't think this is a Christmas movie. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The score's even Christmassy. So... I mean, come on, it's everything you want from Christmas 
It's got um, it's got mulled wine. It's got a Christmas party. It's got some senseless violence in, and it's got an ending where they drive off to have a nice Christmas together, ignoring the fact that the skyscraper is in bits and there's millions of pounds worth of damage. But you know, you can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs, and it does mean that um, John McClane and his missus get to have a nice Christmas together with the kids. <laughs> So interestingly, when we look at the horror genre with Christmas movies like Silent Night, Deadly Night and things like Krampus, which we covered last year and things like that, like these movies, even though they're dark, they're accepted as Christmas movie because they're horror Christmas movies. Mm. And then Die Hard kind of falls somewhere in between, I suppose, because it is a violent movie, but it is a festive movie. And I think people struggle like to figure out where to put it because it's not like anything else really so yeah i thought that was interesting because we accept violent films if they're part of the horror genre but not if it's um something else but either way die hard is a christmas movie and that is my final word on it so if you've enjoyed this episode and would like us to cover the die hard sequels at any point i think we'll be more than up for that so if you want us to continue and do this as a little bit of a series in the future i'm sure we will yeah definitely up for covering the die hard sequels they're not all great, so this is not a guarantee that we're going to give them all a glowing review. There's certainly a point at which I spent a long conversation with somebody when I was in Australia, convincing somebody that Die Hard 4 didn't exist. And by the end of the conversation, he was incredibly confused because he'd just seen it and couldn't work out why it was a Bruce Willis movie and he thought it was Die Hard 4. It was just me being obtuse and saying, like, you know, Die Hard 4 is dead to me, basically. But, yeah, quite happy to cover the Die Hard sequels because there's some interesting conversations to be had there. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 49 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can go and check out all our previous episodes. And if you'd like to give us a follow on social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. So, we're finished with Christmas, but we've still got New Year to deal with. We're going to do one New Year movie before the end of 2021, and what a New Year movie it is. It's New Year's Evil. So, this is a movie that I have not seen yet, so I'm excited to check it out, as it's always been one that I've been aware of. I'm familiar with the poster art for it, so, yeah, exciting to check that out. I hope um, I'm not going to be getting like another heartbeats or anything like that, but we will see. <laughs> I, I don't think it's quite heartbeats, but it's very much out there. It's it's certainly of itself. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> so stay tuned, and just before we head into 2022, you'll be able to hear our thoughts on New Year's Evil. Until then, stay safe, everybody. Happy Christmas. Have a good one, everyone, and we'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bain. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean. <laughs>